This year is brought to you by Eshel Publications. Eshel Publications is a non-profit organization dedicated to spreading the Torah, Shiurim, and Sefarim of Rabbi Aaron Lapiansky. For sponsorships or more information, visit eshelpublications.com. Put me down to five. Okay, right, right. So what's his name? Sam. Sam? Is, uh, what's his name still here? No. Where is tonight? Where is tonight? I'm not sure. Say that. Okay. Somebody yelled down, like, throughout the house that you are starting. Can we do that? Do that, Can you press the recording device and turn it off and down? Yeah. You guys, come, why don't you guys slide down? Because as people come, everybody slide down this way as much as possible. And as people come in late, they'll, they'll get back. First of all, our really a, 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 a tremendously heartfelt thanks to Rabbi Lopiansky, who is here. He's been, this is, I think, the third time Rabbi Lopiansky has come to uh, visit the yeshiva. It's really L'Shem Shemayim when you come here because we're not the greatest recruiting ground for <laughs> yeshiva, but, um, but it is a, really it's a big honor that Rabbi Lopiansky gives his time to come here and uh, to answer your questions. In the past, Rabbi Lopiansky has given shiurim here, and we asked him this year if, if we could uh, just prepare questions and he has not been uh, apprised of any of the contents of those questions. I've taken them, and, and with pure subjectivity, I have organized them the way I wanted to. And uh, <laughs> without further ado, <laughs> by the way, there were 40 questions, really amazing questions. We will deal with, hopefully, all of these questions over the course of the next you know, month, couple months. There are other, <laughs> other rebellion here who hopefully will be able to deal with some of these. But let's, let's get started as soon as possible. Here, if I miss your questions, no offense. No, just one comment. He said it's not a good place for recruiting, but we had one Talmud by us for the summer. And what was lacking in quantity was in up in quality. It was a very, very enjoyable and, uh, you know... The and, we, Hashem. and we've had two students who actually went to Nishi for some periods of time. Yes, also, right? so Baruch Hashem. It's, uh, we've, yeah. Okay, question number one. Is Judaism experience-based or intellectually based? If it's experience-based, what experience exactly are we waiting for? If it's intellectually based, how many questions do we need to ask and have answered before we are expected to accept? And especially given the fact that our teachers have amassed answers to more questions than we can even ask. Well, you've, you've just done a good job of amassing questions, so I guess we... Now, do you mean... I just want to... Do you mean based on what are we supposed to base it on? Yeah. Okay. So, the... Um, I guess 
just as a person has a lot of different faculties, for instance, if I were to ask you how many points they need in common to make a marriage work, uh, appropriate, etc., um, there wouldn't be a hard and fast answer, but it certainly wouldn't be any one thing to exclude the other. If somebody tells me, you know, this girl is everything I want on paper. I said, so what's the problem? Well, I, I wish she was on paper because I don't like her. That's, that's not a very, very, it's not going to make good marriage. On the other hand, if somebody is crazy, he's got some infatuation with a person, and it doesn't make any sense, then people would be wise to tell him, you know, wake up. It's, it's you know, for whatever reason, you're, you know, you've got, cr- you've got some crazy liking for her, but it's absolutely senseless. So we're not going to have that either or answer. Uh, when we want to, I have, I have a neighbor of mine who's, guess what, a lawyer, as everybody else in Washington is, and he, um, and he was, he was a partner in a firm and he was interviewing someone and he told the other partner, he's kind of young, he said, you know, he's got everything we want, but interviewing him, I, I just don't like the guy. There's something about him I just don't like. He said, well, that's the purpose of an interview. A complete picture is, it has to make sense. It has to pass a certain sense, even if it makes sense logically, A, B, C, D, and E, but there's a certain sense of reasonableness, there's a certain sense of personal comfort or discomfort, and all of those things need to fall into place for a person to make a reasonable, um, a, a, a reasonable commitment. At the end of the day, if we should have committed and we didn't, only Akharish Baruch is the one that knows that we are fooling ourselves and the reason we didn't commit was not because we weren't convinced. So it's going to, A, it's going to be a composite of uh, it makes sense, it has a sort of, let, let's see if we can categorize areas of what, if, if I needed to make a decision about marriage, appropriate yeshiva, appropriate society, and, and so on, A, it would have to make sense. I might not be able to prove it intellectually, it has to make sense. I would like that there is um, a narrative which claims to be um, direct as opposed to just making sense about it. <coughs> That's the second part. A third part would be I find it fulfilling and meaningful and something about the people involved that strike me as being um, people that I think they are Baridas and, and they've made... If you can translate any... Uh, bar- yes, uh, that's, uh, Baridas means people who are sensible and made that decision. The, those, are, those are a few of the things. If, if, uh, let's, let's go back to the Mishonah. It says, it says you were dating a girl, but, um, and it seems okay on what you've heard about her and you like her, but she's a pariah. Everybody else likes to keep her a 10-foot pole away. You're also going to worry about that. You know, it, it's, it's t- t- and, and which one do you give more weight to? I'm not sure. It depends on the person. Different people give different parts the way to, but all the pieces that fall into place, and that's why um, no amount of bull sessions should convince a person to become from uh, experiencing it without having a reasonable, um, having a reasonable, uh, I don't know, not word proof, but as much as a logical basis for it. Um, something that came out of thin air without any 
tradition which would tie it back to some event would be suspect. And when you have all the pieces together, then it makes sense. So I would say I, 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 I see it as an artificial dichotomy. And just like real important life decisions we make based on many, many parts of our sensory systems falling into place, I would say the same about this. Question number two. No, we're not doing follow-ups. I'm sorry. <laughs> Question number two. Why is the Gemara so important to learn? The Mitzvah Talmud Torah is so much wider than that. And you base that on what? I, in that second half of the sentence. I don't want to ask the person to say it, but in other words, Torah is vast. There's Chumash, there's Halacha, okay. there's Midrashim, there's Kabbalah. Why okay. do we have to spend all day learning Gemara? Good. The... Um, this question is asked by every boy that has when he starts learning Gemara, except in a in a from in, in a yeshiva society, since it's in the air that they're giving so much emphasis, you never ask. You know, it's it's kind of it's it's so written, but it's a very it's a it's a really good question. So so the answer to that is the only place that has the only place that we're accountable to is the Gemara. Meaning as follows: the Chumash itself does not contain enough information to make any decisions on. There's a, there's a fellow who wrote a book. Uh, that he, he followed the Bible for a year straight. I don't remember the name, but um, it's no, definitely li- you're living biblically. Yeah. Okay. Now it's it definitely makes. I'm sh- I haven't read it. It makes for an interesting read. It's it it. We, I would call it born again Karaite or something like that. But but it, but it makes for an interesting read. But we, but it says no. I mean, what does it mean? You know, you live in booths. Is there any booth? Is this? It, it doesn't. The chumash itself does not contain the information that you really need to be kind of mitzvahs. If the Gemara works out the the Torah Shabbat Sav together with the Torah Shabbat Peh, yes, okay. Um, the, the 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 Torah is the written law. The Talmud has incorporated in itself a the basic oral law, which is the basic description of what we're talking about, and then arguments and discussions that give you some sense of a, a bigger picture of it. Now, you can halachically use a Gemara and a Paschana Shaila. Is that English, Pascal? Yeah. <laughs> okay, you, you you can reach. I, 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 in my dictionary, it's English with with you know ancient Aramaic roots. But you 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 can actually um, you can reach a decision. It's dangerous because um, there is just the Talmud is spread up all over the place. And you'd have to know all the information and be able to weigh it correctly. That's why we go to the next stage of the next few hundred years that, that have brought it down very piecemeal. But if a person if a person bases his decisions on the Gemara, and that's the only one that pulls rank, we defer to greater uh, um, scholars than us, and that's why nobody really would, would, would reach a solution not based on very contemporary great people and so on. But you can't say the person is wrong if he builds it on the Talmud. The Talmud is the last, I would say, sort of canonized work where it's absolute, it's binding. 
Everything afterwards is open to proof, discussion, count discussion. It's just that we kind of recognize where we are and we, and we, we, we keep our position. We know exactly where we are. So, A, the Talmud is absolutely the, the determining work in halacha, in, in halacha. Two, the same thing is also true in philosophy. The Talmud itself doesn't really speak in terms of philosophy or ethics even. You know, they'll, they'll be also, but if you, build, if you build any type of explanation, it has to include enough material that you can honestly say, this is the Talmud's approach to these issues. Um, you're standing on very, very skimpy ground if you don't. The third reason is kind of, di- I guess, uh, didactically, all works that really go into the give and take use the Talmud and that style for teaching it and, and explaining it. If, if, if you don't have some basic knowledge of it, skills and so on, you're always kind of living, you know, it, it's, it's a third, it's a hand-me-down three times. And it's, it's, it's a terrible thing to go through life sort of blind and, well, this rabbi said this, and that rabbi said that, and I'm not sure why he said this, not sure why he said that, and I don't know if he's right, if he's wrong, if he's an apicorist, if he's an extremist. You, you, have, you don't have even a thread of, of a sense of the material itself. So getting a sense of how the Talmud works, the back and forth, the basic vocabulary, the basic ideas, would, would give you, it, it would make you part of the process instead of being a really, a, a, a really nebbish outsider. A sort of a follow-up to that. If a machlokis, or a, which is an argument in a Gemara, for example, or a din, a law, is generated purely by the thinking of the humans involved, for example, the svara or the conceptual thinking of the of a risha, then are we really studying Torah when we study that? We're looking at the machlokis achronim and what Tosos is saying, etc., etc. How can we say that's called really studying Torah? So, there's there's a there's a piece in the Talmud that actually addresses it and it's spoken of <laughs> it. It says I'll, I'll sort of paraphrase the way it says it's it's built on a verse in, in Kohelet and it goes along the lines of well you see so many rabbis disputing it and you look and you ask yourself how will I never know the truth and the answer is they were all given from one shepherd in one place etc and the Talmud says all of the arguments and so on were given at Sinai I, I want to explain that passage. The, 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 it's an, the explanation I'm using is written by an early commentary, Duran. I, I want to explain it. Torah, by definition, is the, 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 the written Torah that God gave, the basic explanations that were given with it, and the reasonable points that may be made in discussing new issues or trying to reconstruct forgotten pieces. Those different pieces were intended to be there. If, <coughs> if, if the logic you use is appropriate logic, not of, it, it fits the Talmudic structure, and you honestly are attempting to get to the bottom of something, that's called Torah. If you made a blessing on the Torah in the morning, and instead of saying those few verses that you say afterwards, you immediately ran and started learning, you know, saying and, and putting down your point. N- even if you're outvoted, that's real Torah. 
the blessing, the blessing is a good blessing because what you learned was Torah. Torah is the attempt to understand the the written and basic oral law using reasonable points are all Torah. At the end of the day, we, we have to follow one opinion or the other, and we have rules for that. You go with a majority, you look at the caliber of people arguing, but it doesn't take away. And that's the Torah is the the reasonable points, and this is... Let, let's, let, let me give a, a sort of an example um, to, to understand the hierarchy. It's one of the very difficult points. If it's wrong, how could it be Torah? And if it's... Let's take, let's say we're trying to build a bridge from, I don't know, high north to the old city, to the Kotel. Make it a, a very straight bridge. And you, you ask, you, you, you send out and you ask people for different suggestions. So you might get a whole bunch of very fascinating suggestions in terms of the route of the bridge, the support system, the structural issues, aesthetic issues. You might end up with 10, 15 different proposals. And you'll choose one based on cost, on popularity, or whatever it is. The, um, they are all are bridges. They're all correctly labeled as bridges, even though you're going to stick with one of them for some other reason. Torah is broad enough intellectually to include opposing opinions that are valid opinions, that are of the fabric of the type of opinions that make sense within the Gemara, and even though to follow rulings, the Torah clamped down and said one and one only. Uh, I always use, in, in, in yeshiva, I use a marshal. To me, it, it, uh, it's simply because I puzzled over it when I was young. That's why it, it stuck. Um, when we learned, when we learned uh, algebra, um, simple algebra. So, the question of what is the square root of four has two answers, two and minus two. If you get one or the other, if you write one or the other, you get only either depending fifty percent credit or no credit, depending on how mean the teacher is, or you know, or if he's very nice, he's, you know, he'll sort of give a check and say, you know, you could have had another one. But usually, they were kind of very mean because they always busy telling you that, you know, that depending on the exp- you know, exponent, that's how, many, that's how many solutions there have to be, and so on and so forth. Now, there was a, there was a problem, a, a, a typical problem would go, a man had a square yard, and he bought fencing, and, and he bought tiles for it, and whatever <coughs> it was, it was four square feet of tiles, how big is each side? If you answered minus two, you were wrong. And I remember puzzling over it, well, it, it, it's right on this test, it's wrong on this test, I mean, get your act together. Like, are both right answers or not right? How could it be? The, the, I, I solved, the, I, you know, I, I, I put it into formula, solve it, and, and the solution is 2 or minus 2. And the answer is, math is hierarchically more abstract. In the world of math, <coughs> 4 has two square roots. But when you talk about a field, you, you've taken it down and sort of limited it. Uh, fields don't have minus two as a side, unless today people are mortgaged and the field has much less. You know, <laughs> p- people can can have can have fields worth the more field you have, the less it's worth. You know, so so today we uh, today we can we can see where the other solution comes in, but but that that other solution doesn't exist, not because on the level of math it exists. There's a halacha, which is the pure Torah, and psak, which is the how shall we apply to this world are the same hierarchy. 
in the world of pure Torah, it recognizes Beis Shammai, Beis Hillel's opinion, as both being valid. And they both have a point to make. In other words, looking at this way and looking at this way. In, in, in applying Torah to this real world, we need to cut and say, we can't have everyone doing it differently, and when we bring out this world, we pass on like Beis Hillel. So, so on, the, on a more, um, on a higher level, it has more, it has more solutions. It's one of the reasons, by the way, why Kabbalah will say sometimes things that are not like Halacha. Um, the reason is Kabbalah is sort of a higher world. It's not, we, we don't do like Kabbalah, but we understand that it has a truth. There is a truth to X, Y, or Z, but it's a truth that, that it, it doesn't, is, is not applied to the world here and now if it's in conflict with the halachic system. Yes? Okay. Is the purpose of our, of our existence to feel as close to Hashem as possible or simply to do all the mitzvahs? Meaning, who is doing better? The person who feels very spiritual and strives to connect or the person who does all the mitzvahs with precision but feels no spirituality or connection? Um, <coughs> in a certain sense, this was a big bone of contention uh, 200 years ago. Um, really, if you look at the Hasidic and, and the non-Hasidic um, or anti-Hasidic works, this seems to be that, um, that uh, going back and forth. I, I am a believer that they weren't arguing on the point itself, but they were more arguing where they felt people were going with it. Um, let's start with what the Torah says. The Torah gives us certain mitzvahs that are very elementary and that are defined as emotional connections. You have ahava, which means a tremendous drive towards doing something. You're attracted by something. Ava is, you know, we speak about ava, it means we're drawn to something, and that obviously speaks. We speak about yira, which is awe, and we speak of simcha, which is a sense of profound accomplishment. Simcha, simcha happiness, yes. Uh, but Ava and Yuri let me get away with that. That was uh, <laughs> Ava. Ava, I said, is love. Yuri is fear. And the Kuzari has a beautiful piece, really masterful piece, where he speaks about the three pillars of Judaism being love, awe, and happiness. Um, happiness? <laughs> <laughs> Listen, some mitzvahs require a lot of sacrifice to do, Rabbi Ro uh, Rosenblum, and I'm sure happiness is a very, very tough mitzvah, but... <laughs> <laughs> They, 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 there's, a, there's a Hasidic joke about the non-Hasidim that why is it that there are four verses read in the Megillah on Purim with the tune of Lamentations of Eicha and the answer is so that even the non-Hasidim would feel a little joy on, on Purim <laughs> <laughs> so the question was so why don't you read the entire Megillah with that tone and the answer is because to be too merry is really not good, and one should keep it in check. That, that was the, uh, you know, growing up in a society that was mixed with Yechzidim and Achzidim, you get the jokes on both, si on both sides of the fence. But, but the Kuzari makes the point, we have a mitzvah, it says at the end of Kisavo in Deuteronomy, you have 
the reason why you're getting all these severe punishments is because you didn't worship God with happiness and joy of heart and so on. The verse has it's not, it's it's a little bit um, it, it's a little bit up in the air. It could mean when things were going well, you didn't worship God. Um, it's ambiguous the language, or it could mean because you didn't. And, and many posts can uh, uh, feel it. That's what it means. So, so you definitely have these elements in it, and the, and the Torah says there's there is a um, the Zohar describes a person who does mitzvahs without love and fear, <coughs> it's like a bird without wings. In other words, there's no spirit to it. It's not soaring up. It's not bringing it up and so on. The, the, however, the other side was that it doesn't start because you're not doing it because you like it or because you enjoy it or, 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 or because you feel fulfilled. You're obligated to it no matter what. But But having said that, you're obligated to think about it and understand it in a way that it brings a deep emotional satisfaction. So the emotional satisfaction is not the cause, but it is a very vital part of the picture. A person is unhappy because if we don't feel fulfilled by something we're doing, because we, we don't see its relevance, <coughs> we don't see its importance. A, a kid is studying in school, and he's usually dreading it because he doesn't feel that it's getting him any place he's going to do anything with it. Um, an adult who, who understands why he's doing it, and he's very happy with the work he's doing, and he sees it's going someplace. So, so the answer is, the motive behind it is whether you like it or not, you're still obligated to do it. That's that's our very strong sense of of God and right and wrong. But <coughs> Hashem is not what God wants out of us is not to do things despite us ourselves. He wanted it for our good, and you don't have if you're doing it and you're not happy with it, you're not fulfilled with it, then you haven't, then you're missing the neshama of it. Putting the neshama into it is part of what Hashem wants out of it. It requires thinking about it, it requires contemplating it, and, and so on. But at the end of the day, that's part of what we're supposed to do. A, a bit of a follow-up on this, and maybe you already answered that. Concept. How did they know what to follow up? It's <laughs> coming <laughs> There are certain nuances of Shabbat, like not separating the bone from the chicken, pulling right. the bone out, but yes, taking the chicken off the bone, that if anything, tend to take away from the spirit of Shabbat. Question mark. Well, okay. <laughs> <laughs> There's an, an old Jewish joke. I, I grew up, my parents uh, were survivors and they spoke Yiddish and my culture was kind of very old time Yiddish that uh, a young American yuppie took his old European father to a violin concert and he explained to him the chivas of it you know, it's Lincoln's it's, this is uh, you've made it and it's the best and, the, and so on and the father's sitting there and he's looking very intently at what's going on and sort of, as all Jews, knows immediately what's happening and puts his, ta- his take on it. Comes home, he says, you know I followed the man very carefully. Now, when he was going like this that really is meaningful. But this part was a shtick to, to impress everybody. This part doesn't do anything. <laughs> this part is really impressive. This is not part. <laughs> um, it's hard. You're right. As an outsider sitting at a... If, if we're coming in as an outsider and you look at it, 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 you know, some parts of it appeal immediately. Some parts of it 
you know, you can figure out some of do, do look like the kind of nitpicking and so on. But like we spoke about the studying the Talmud, when you start getting the whole sense of it, then it makes sense in that context. If if, if we took, if if we were able to move a few steps forward and see Shabbos means a person stops stops creating and starts enjoying. A person stops doing things in the world and pauses to take note of the world he's done. And a person outlines what are the basic creative activities, separating things, in other words, grouping, separating, is a very important part of what we do in this world. That the, the Gemara says um, a person, a, a minimal test of maturity or intelligence of a child is the ability to separate um, useful stuff from not useful stuff. Um, the, the, the language in the Talmud is nuts that are edible from leaves and stuff that are not edible. The sense of a person being able to separate things is that, and we enact it by, you know, by doing these things. And as it, it's just like a person, you know, just to go back to the violin marshal. When, when you go, when when you're studying art, before you study art and you see all sorts of paintings, some of it is admittedly appealing. Some of it, you, you don't understand what it's there for. It doesn't seem to be serving a purpose. And as somebody begins to point out to you the effect that certain things have, the subtle effects, so on and so forth, it, 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 it takes on, uh, a, the picture becomes clearer. So, so the answer is that's why it's important to try to get it from as, as original source as possible, to identify with the system a lot more than just with the, the appearance or, or the projection of it. Shifting views. I've heard women shouldn't have public roles, but there were female prophets. Devorah was a leader. What happened? What changed? Um, <coughs> d- 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 well, prophet is an easy one because God chooses the prophet. Chooses the prophet. So <laughs> if a woman comes along and says, "I am a prophet," and proves it, then I mean, if God sent her, we're not going to. We know that that's not going. What? Matt, you can argue with. Uh, with, with <laughs> <laughs> um, it, it, it it's it's one of it hasn't only there have been people in the in the past generation who have stepped forth. I mean, Sarah Schneider, who founded the Besiakov system, did it. In, 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 I mean, it created something that no one else had done. She, she's a she's a real hero. Probably, um, there's a famous story where somebody said that all of Torah is due to her because if there wouldn't be women who who had the same ideals and shared those ideals of Torah, there wouldn't be any a Torah world today. And she did it single-handedly. There was opposition, and yet, what's interesting about it is once she started a project. Everyone fell in and felt it was sincere and was good. At the end of the day, there are certain things that are done um, that require... People need to get a sense that you're not pushing an agenda. Um, The traditional role for most women is um, not public. It's part of our sense of sneers, part of our sense of culture, and so on. The exceptions have somehow surfaced. And, and, you know, there have been women over the ages who've been scholarly. They've quoted, actually, even Shacharach in one or two places, not in Shacharach itself, but the smart quotes and so on. They're always kind of recognized post-facto sort of, yes, people have a sense that this person is sincere and this person is... um, 
is right, <coughs> and you know we will f- we will fall fall in and close ranks, but certainly not as the way we raise our our daughters <coughs> and so on. That that's the only answer I can give them. How do cooking and cleaning develop any human's potentials? By contrast, learning Torah is spoken of as directly bringing people to fulfillment and greatness. How are women supposed to get that without studying Torah? Um, I, I would... Uh, uh, let, let, me, let me use a kind of a muscle and uh, a sort of a, uh, an analogy of sorts. I'm not, I'm not particularly... Um, uh, you know, details don't mean much to me and so on. Not my thing. And I was a bacher in a dormitory and my room looked like a dormitory room and, you know, I, you know, what was the normal uh, bacher eating and so on and so forth. I once picked up a piece of newspaper and I was very into what do you need this thing for? Nothing has to be fancy and everything could be, you know, I, I had that sort of mentality. I once picked up a piece of newspaper, I guess I was the very bored and it was a from newspaper, and this happened to be the cooking section. You really have to be bored, but I, I don't know why it caught my eye, and it said how to prepare Sheva Brachis, like without overdoing it. I, I don't I remember the details, though the, the writer will forgive me if, I, if I've changed some of it, but basically it was something like this. You don't need to, to make yourself crazy and work hard and spend a lot of money for Sheva Brachis, um, it's fine if you open up a can of peas. It's fine if you open up a can of this. You need only to cook one thing, and it can be the chicken that's from Shabbos and sort of redone again in the goulash or whatever it is. And for dessert, why don't you cut up a well- watermelon? Why don't you take out a big box of biscuitim and so on? That was the, the more or less. And I said to myself, what statement do you make to the person when that's what you serve? The answer is... I really don't want to do it, but it's a mitzvah and i got to do it. <laughs> so let's get it over with as cheaply and as painlessly as possible. That's basically. When you come home, I mean, I've married uh, 37 years. You come home from a long, hard day, and what greets you is warmth. Um, a hot meal is not the same as what you buy out. It's somebody sat and cooked it and did it for you. And somebody has takes pleasure in the fact that it's enjoyable, it's different, it's not the same as yesterday's. Um, there's a variety of aromas, there's a variety of, of colors. Th- there's a cleanliness, there's, there's a warmth. Those things uh, speak volumes of um, emotions, care, and kids who grow up in institutions, the most best-run institutions are crippled children because you don't have it. Uh, someone told me a fascinating story from a goddle. Um, I had a friend of mine who ran... A Godel is a, a big person, a, a, a big Tom uh, Chacham, uh, <laughs> a great man. Uh, and um, I, the, the truth is, the story would even lose some of the edge of of it if not understanding the, the ascetic type of of Talmud Chacham saying. So my friend ran the facility for yeshiva, took care of you know that the, the plant and so on, and. Um, he made a, He figured out that they have not many kids at the yeshiva. It would be much cheaper to buy to buy it and to, to buy others. So he went to Reb Shmuel Auerbach, who I think he was the head of it, and he said, "Listen, I've just figured out the 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 cost. It's much more cost effective to simply order it, and that's it." 
And he told him, he looked at him and said, you're right. But when kids smell onions being fried, it, it, it creates a certain environment. And, and I, I want to keep a kitchen aroma in the yeshiva because it's important for the kids. Um, maybe the younger kids a little bit. You know, if, if living at home where the home environment is simply m- meals brought in or going out and so on, a, a woman, when she's, when she's preparing a meal and, and keeping things, you can tell a woman's moods. If a woman is down, the house will reflect it, the meals will reflect it. If a woman is up, the house will reflect the meals, what she wears. They, they are not... They are very, very significant. Yes, as men, we have less of a sense of it in doing it, but we sure appreciate it. I I, I had a neighbor where both parents were very successful career people, very good people, but the the mother never, ever did anything in the house. They they had that that money, and they they would buy out, and whatever it is, they make do. And the kids, the oldest son was getting married. He said, I want a wife. I've eaten corn out of a can long enough, and I want a home. And and those are things that are. And it's one of the things that I speak to. It's a very idealistic young men and women when they come before getting married. Sometimes in yeshiva, and we speak about it. And I tell for girls, it's this paradigm shift because in school they're kind of given the idea that going to a lot of shiurim uh, is important and doing this important. They're wonderful things. But a woman sets a tone at home with the with with the atmosphere she creates, and I think it's it it, it says volumes. It's uh, my why I want to tell. There was a woman who lived in Meisharim, <coughs> Rebetz and Brim, and I was Rabbi in Rebetz and Brim. He was a tremendous scholar and a very big person. He was a student of the Chazanish and also very Chassidish Yechus, and he used to have a big, a st- very strong. Um, he had a lot to do with the Meyeshiva. He would give different. Um, he would teach groups of boys in his house. It was, it was a, and his wife was the daughter of a very great Rav, and she was an extraordinary woman. They lived in one and a half rooms in Meishar, a big, the old time Meishar house, a big front room and a small master bedroom and a small kitchen. The house was always well done. It was nice. It was pleasant. Aesthetically, it was always painted every year, and you know everything was taken care of. And my wife, the last year or two that we lived here, she made it a point to visit her almost every day because um, she liked this woman's company. She felt that it was giving her a lot. And it was also very close to, to her mother's house, so she would go from her mother's house to stop off for a visit by her. And unfailingly, if she came around lunchtime, the first question was to my wife Yaffa. What did you prepare for the meal today? And and there was a message there. It's nice that we're talking, and it's wonderful. It, you know, divator, fine and good. It, you know, what did you prepare for a meal? That's how you express all those feelings are expressed that way, and and it's a very it's significant. And uh, anyone who's fortunate enough to have grown up that way knows that that's you know that gives it and that. Uh, so I I don't buy the the belittling aspect of it. So. How do you justify spending an hour and a half davening every day when you can't know what the effect is on this world, and you can spend the time helping the world in ways that have reliable and measurable results instead? Um, it's, it's a, I guess it's a broader topic. Um, 
the one who discusses it very interestingly is Revolver in his second volume. He speaks about reaching out. In, and, and it's something in yeshivas traditionally, the first years of development, meaning like ages 18, 19, 20, until 22, 23 for sure, are very inward focused. And if, any, if we participated in any outside activity, whether it was helping someone, spreading Judaism, um, rioting, um, an, important, an, an, an important burning of a trash can or something, whatever we did, we got it over the head um, for not being in yeshiva. And, and I, you know, and I would wonder about it. And then I realized, listen, it is important, but in a person's development, when is a person helping somebody else, and when is he a busybody? Um, when is it durable? When is a teenage exuberance? What happened? I grew up in the '60s, and in the '60s, my not my generation; they were a little older than me. Um, they were turning the world upside down, exposing all the evils of the world. And and uh, calling for a just and good society. And they have some very good points. The, the 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 hippie movement has great points. What happened to all the leaders of the hippie movement? So those who are not dead of overdosing or who didn't fry their brains out with LSD, they had they had a study. Most of them are high power traders of Wall Street. They had they had all the pictures. It was amazing. You know, twenty five years down the line, they were the enemy. And and uh, the answer is because. It wasn't a focused um, work. It was an exuberance of, of emotions, which is fine, but it's not something... A person's goodness needs to be real goodness coming with commitment and so on. And when a person stands in Davins, he's making a statement. There is a God, and, and, and it's what he wants in this world, and I am humble, and I can't do everything, and I have to do what's right, and I need to ask for the ability and the sense to do it right, and so on. That's the olive base. Without that, it's like it's the difference between a slow-burning fire, which can do a lot of good, to an explosion, which just it, it's it's a magnificent explosion. But that's all it is. Most people who go on helping, you know, it's it's sort of uh, it, it peters out. And sometimes just becomes even what's happened to the movement now, you know, Occupy Wall Street, Occupy Washington, and so on. It's fun. It's interesting. Uh, it's not that they don't have some points, but there's nothing more than that. It's, it's not going anyplace because people are still animals. It, it, you need to develop yourself. And, and, and then the goodness to others need to be a real outcome of a good self. That, that's the point how do we approach historical scientific information or truths that seem to conflict with religion? With caution. The, 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 um, <laughs> so, the, the, um, the truth is, let me tell you a paradigm that I, I like to use as a focal point. Tosfus, the, 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 the Talmud discusses um, what is considered circular in halacha? What's considered circular? And the um, Talmud puts down a three-to-one ratio as being a circle. Tosfos asks on it. Tosfos is, is a medieval commentary um, from France. It's actually not one commentary. It's, it's a group of, it's a whole school of commentaries put together. It's sort of the most significant a di- a dialectic on the Talmud as opposed to Rashi, which is 
a, a, a running commentary. He asks, well, that's not true. A circle is, is, is not three times to one. It's, you know, he, he doesn't give them the exact number, but he, and Tulsus leaves it at a question. Um, <coughs> there will be every so often an issue. I don't need to word science history. It's a fact. In other words, it, it's, it's, it, I mean, it, science and history is valid not because authority is called in, it's simply because that's what it is. So at that point, we have, we can go from two extremes. We can either say science hasn't settled it out completely yet, and my feeling is it'll settle out differently. It can have a different explanation than is given. It, it, and most of the time, you're talking about an explanation rather than a, a straight-out fact. Or you could say the pshat must have some tweak to it. For instance, uh, th th this piece over here, I actually, there are actually some very good pshatim for it. Um, you know, very simple ones that, that are logical. It, it, the Talmud is simply telling me um, halachic parameters, legal definitions, rather than the pure fact, which is fine. But in either case, a person need not to be need not to be scared of leaving things as a problem, and to work at it. I was just now reading a book. I, I happened to pick up now. It's in Hebrew. I don't know. If, I don't think it translated. Two Israeli archaeologists, Levi and somebody else have presented a thesis on biblical archaeology, which I don't have the expertise to evaluate it, but it's stunning. They, they've claimed, they show how archaeological evidence is out of sync with biblical evidence, and then they say, because they're dating it wrong, let's now, let's shift over, it's, it's, it's instead of being at this, uh, at this time, of the of the of of the of the um, this pharaoh uh, this pharaoh was this pharaoh, and everything fits in amazingly well, amazingly. Not only that, every piece of it, it's almost as if you know it's it's like you align the pieces and it's perfect. Now, I don't have the ability to to tell you how great this is or how 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 offbeat it is. I don't know. I really don't know. But it's a type of thing where they it, 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 people have to understand. When you're not talking about facts in front of your eyes, when you're talking about anything of history, evolution, you, you, you're talking about creating a story out of relics, um, out of bits and pieces. The same thing is true about evolution, same thing is true about archaeological history. It, it, it's, it, it's never ever a hundred... The Torah can't contradict a fact head-on, but very rarely is it the facts that are being contradicted. It's usually where the evidence leads you to be. And, and, the, and, and, and that's something that... So A, first thing is, don't be scared of a question. I, I have a cousin of mine who's a physicist, big physicist. He, he unfortunately lived, worked for Lucent, so all of his retirement went down. But, but um, he's, he's a Balchuva. He became from as a young man and was close in age, very, very special person. And he, he told us some, long time ago he was talking, he was visiting us, and he told us some issues with a current way of thinking in physics, nothing to do with Torah. So my brother asked him, so why don't you discard the theory? And he said, there are 10,000 scenarios, 9,945 work, and 55 don't. We're not about to discard it. It, t it takes a lot more to upset something that works so well in so many different places. It, we'd rather think of, if if your if your amuna is based on one question, one answer, then it takes one question to dislodge it. Hopefully, like we started in the beginning, the, it's a much bigger picture, 
and therefore you're going to um, you, you're going to okay, it's an issue. Sometimes I'll uh, you know either I'll never find an answer that's really satisfying. It's kind of okay, maybe, or some someday they'll click it. It's never. I, I need to go soon. I, I, what time we have to leave, like soon? Call a cab or whatever. Fine. Okay. So maybe call a cab now. We have, we'll take one more question or whatever. Yeah. How can or until he tells me the cab came. Until <coughs> yeah. Call a cab from Chelsea. <laughs> 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 it's not going to help because I have to get there <laughs> at a quarter to. So. How can we? I'm going to have a lot of questions to answer. What time you need to be there, by the way? Um, a quarter to ten. Shouldn't take you more than fifteen minutes to get there. Really? Yeah. Okay. So what's that? Rosenblum, is that correct? Right, where, where are you going? To tell stone to Yisrael Leif. Can I go with you? <laughs> <laughs> Good question. Seriously, it's more than 15 minutes? I could do it in five. <laughs> oh, so, uh, it takes about uh, 18 minutes. Okay, so. <laughs> how, can, how can we state the existence of infinity while we ourselves exist as limited, finite, and non-perfect beings living in a world shaped by form and within time, elements that are all contradictory to the concept of infinity itself? What? Okay. Um, it's a very, it's a very good question. Let me explain. We only get to infinity, our concept like infinity, which is meaningless to us, by by saying that the finite is something that can't exist by itself. In other words, how did some when nothing is the default setting, which is what we logically assume to be correct, um, if we walk into a room that has, let's say nothing was here, there were no farm shelves, no table, there's nothing, and when they first take, when they first came to look at this place, they saw nothing. No one asks why is there nothing here. Um, the question is why did why is there a table? Why are there chairs? Okay, so this guy brought tables, guy brought chairs, so on and so forth. Things creating themselves, there is you can you can use language as fancy as you want, as many equations as you want. It's something that tells us an impossibility, and the only solution to impossibility is that something exists that doesn't fit into the box of our brain at its at its widest. No matter how wide we're going to stretch our brain, it, the, the reality we can recognize it. It's like when you see the tip of an iceberg. I only see the tip of it, but icebergs don't come only in tips. The tip has to be standing on something that reaches down to the bottom of the ocean or whatever it is. So, so our, when we throw around a word like infinite, it's, it's a realization that within boundaries, it's self-contradictory. And that which is bounded could never have existed. So we have a sense of things are bounded, and that's real to us, and that's where our intelligence functions. That's fine. But the ability to, but this must be the tip of an iceberg. So basically we sort of extrapolate outwards and we say, this must be the tip of the iceberg and, what's, and what is beyond that is not definable, it's not, it's not, it has no ability to be boxed into our, our box. That's, that's about it. Should everyone raise their kids with the goal of being Tamir Kukamim? Is that sustainable? You mean have a common PS people who don't work or do anything else? Yes. <laughs> um, I would I would put it on two levels. First of all, um, there's one thing about worrying about the world in general. In other words, if we all raise our kids to be sitting alone, is that I think there's one issue of 
is it right to push someone whose abilities and talents and affinity lies somewhere else um, to do full-time learning? Um, I would worry that much more, and I would say the answer is, once upon a time, I think it was critical, when nobody was learning, there was no Kadratam nothing existed, not long ago, 50, 60 years ago, no one knew anything, it was, the world was dark in that way, and once we have a large enough group of Tamir and everyone else being knowledgeable and being connected, so this, the next thing should be what's good for each person. Each person has to stand itself financially. Each person has talents that he needs to use in a certain way. Each person has emotional needs. Some people can sit by a safer all day. Some people will go out of their minds. Some, some people need to do. Some people need to shape. Some people, everyone is different. And I think this is a stage now where the right thing is to f- have each person find his place and um, sometimes it's tricky sometimes it's not easy to figure out but but at least I think that before we worry even about the macro picture I think each each individual and at our yeshiva that's what we do okay <laughs> if a person could be a successful businessman or a successful tamachachim does he have an obligation to become a tamachachim instead um, it, it, it really depends on if a, it, there's a Sefer Chassidim that says if a person has the ability to support many others, then he should go into the business and so on. Um, it, it really depends. Listen, if a person, if a person can do both equally well, really, which is not usual, because it's very different set of very different set of emotional and uh, mental composition. Then, then it's a choice, and he has to make the choice. It, it should come out of a sense of ideal and nobility, never because he's ashamed to do the other. It's, it's, it's contrary to where the world is. It requires, like the Ramam says, somebody elevating himself. And, you know, it's, it's something which you, it, 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 he has to be inspired to do that. So a person, well, this is equally well for him, he has to feel inspired, and like the Ramam says, um, if his spirit raised him and he decided to be beyond the world's norms, then it's doable. Is sneas, which this person is defining as not attracting public attention, right. equally important for males and females? It's equally important, but express yourself differently. Um, I mean, generally speaking, um, you know, females are attracted to men, and that's why there is an emphasis on the, on the physical part, um, whereas in a male sense, it's a lot more about the, the you know showy trappings and stuff like that, and it's less defined. In women, the, the component of physical attraction is very strong, and therefore that, that has to... Okay, I'm sorry, I, I have to go. I, I, I didn't... Uh, <laughs> I, I, I don't want to interrupt you, but thank you very much. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you very much.